Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. First Samuel 17 and 40. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a strip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near the Philistine. 45 says, And then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Verse 46 says, This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all of the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 47. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Praise God. The little I've got is all God needs. The little I've got is all God needs. God bless you. You may be seated. Let's take a look at these two opponents. Let's take a look at Goliath. What does Goliath have? Goliath has size. Goliath has a sword, he has a spear, he has a shield, he has experience. This is even referred to today as David versus Goliath event. One is far superior to the other. One has many more attributes than the other one does. Goliath had it all. Well, what does David have? He does not have stature. He does not have great experience in fighting other humans. He's good at killing bears and lions. He doesn't have a sword. He doesn't have a shield. But he does have a sling. And he does have five stones. And he does have a name. And that is all he needs. The little he had was all that God needed. But he had to go and face this giant. He had to overcome his fear. He had to look at him, point at him maybe, and threaten him. Tell him this is the way it's gonna be. I'm gonna knock your head off. I'm gonna take you down. All of Israel is going to know, and so are the Philistines, that there is a God in Israel. And you know the reason he had five stones? Some say, well, it was J-E-S-U-S. Well, maybe. But I'll tell you why I think he had five stones. One for Goliath and four for his brothers. Because if you come out with your brothers, I'm ready for them too. I got five. And all, can you picture this great big Goliath standing there before this little boy and this little sling that he's got in his hand. I mean, he's covered with armor, but he's got just this one little area, one little area that's open, and God takes the stone that David throws and anoints it. He gives it rocket power 
propulsion. It is heat-seeking missile. It hits him in the one area that he's vulnerable, right smack in the middle of his forehead, and knocks him to the ground. And David, because he didn't have a sword, took Goliath's own sword and chopped his head off with it. The little David had was all that God needed. The name of the Lord, folks, is so powerful. We underestimate the power. Let me, you know, I I remember a few months ago now, I remember before the service began, and Brother Matson, I know how you feel, because you know you get a lot on your mind and you can forget. That's why, you know, I try not to think about too much other than my message on a Sunday morning. But I remember on a Sunday morning, I was standing here and a big fella, huge, walked up to me and I knew him and, and he started making me, making compliments. Oh, you're such a great preacher. You're such a great pastor. This is such a great church. I always get a little leery if you lay it on too thick, you know. But he was really laying it on that day. And I was right here. And he sat right there. And the worship service took off, and right away, I mean from the get-go, the worship service brought the presence of the Lord in. You could feel it right away. Let me tell you something about worship, folks. Learn to shut your eyes and lift your hands and focus on what you're saying and what you're singing. Do not look around. Because here's what happens to me in a worship service. When I begin to worship God, I, I go to another place. You can call it your happy place if you want to. I call it a heavenly place. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, and that's what praise and worship does. When you praise and worship him and lift him up, he takes you with him. You leave your current circumstances and all your problems behind. It's just you and him. We gotta get everything we can out of a worship service by giving everything we've got in worship. Can I get an amen? And when we lift the name of the Lord Jesus up. And so what happens is, everybody started worshiping God, and this guy sitting over here, he starts chanting, and I thought, what is that? Chanting, it was soft at first, and. And then it started getting louder and and it was becoming a distraction. And when it became a distraction, I walked out from where I was to go around to meet him. And Brother Brown, when I looked in his eye, I saw evil. Just evil, pure evil. He looked at me and I looked at him and I saw evil. And I pointed my finger at him and I said, I rebuke that spirit in the name of Jesus. And I might as well have had a rifle and shot him in the heart because this big old Goliath was on the floor thrashing around and chairs were flying everywhere and many of you remember that. He's on the floor flopping around and the Lord said, get on top of him. So I, I jumped on top of him and kept rebuking that spirit and he kneed me right in the ribs. I remember he kicked me right in the ribs with his, with his knee and I never felt a thing. And you know what I learned from that? I learned some things from that. The name of the Lord is powerful. I could have never whooped that guy myself. 
but just by using the name of Jesus, he was on the ground. I didn't have to lift a finger and people gathered around and prayed for him and you know I was so proud of this church because you know what the worship team did? Kept right on worshiping. We're not gonna let that be a distraction. We're just gonna keep worshiping God. It was the worship that bothered that spirit. But it was the name. And you think it's little? It's not. The little I've got is all I need. The little I've got is all I need. And it'll bring the giants down in your life. Praise God. Next verse of scripture. All right, 1 Kings 17 and 9 says, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering, stick, gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a, in a curse, a cruise. Um, and, he bo- and he behold, uh, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, Neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. All right. I want to make sure you understand what's happened here. There's a famine in the land. And God speaks to Elijah and says, look, I want you to go see this widow woman. She will take care of you. He trusts what he hears from God. And he goes to that widow woman. And he sees her and he says... I'm thirsty, would you fetch me some water? She loves and respects the man of God. She doesn't hesitate to get water because they got plenty of water. So she goes to get him some water and he says, oh, by the way, I'd like a cake too. And she freezes. Because she didn't have what it took to make cakes. That was little in her proportion. Water was okay. But when you ask for cakes, let me explain my situation to you as to why I can't help you, man of God. And the man of, forget about the man of God. Remember that the man of God represented God himself. And so it was God that was asking for a cake. That's the way you got to look at this. And she says, time out. I'm having a hard time finding two sticks. Maybe she was a Native American and was gonna rub sticks together to start a fire or something. But she said, oh, I'm just gathering two sticks. I don't have anything to make you a cake. I got a little meal in a barrel. I got a little oil in a cruise, but that's all I've got. That little is not enough. And it's just enough for my son and I. We're gonna have the last supper. 
this is it. We're gonna eat one more time together and then we're gonna die. And the man of God says, well, if you do what I tell you to do, you won't die. And she thinks about it and says, now, wait a minute. If I don't do what he tells me to do, I get one meal and I die. If I do what he asks me to do, I might live. He might be right. Wouldn't I be foolish not to do what is asked of me? Wouldn't I be foolish not to do what is asked of me, that my life and the life of my son, my family would be sustained? That's why men and women of God, when God speaks to us, we need to understand that God may be asking us for the little because he's willing to give us the much. He knows what we need and the decisions that we make affect our entire family and our families affect our entire church. And so when God asks you to do something out of obedience and out of faith, you are being tested with the little that you have. And you may say, oh, the little I have is so insignificant. It really won't make much of a difference. What is my life compared to six billion people? How can I evangelize the world? What is my little offering? What is my little tithe? What is my offering to even a heart for the house? How's that gonna change the economic situation? You're missing two very important elements, obedience and faith. Obedience brings blessings. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Your little is all God needs. And she baked him a cake and he ate his cake and pretty soon she saw that there was enough for another cake to be made and another cake to be made. And she was sustained because she gave the little she had so that God could continue to meet all that she needed. Can I get an amen? Take a look at John chapter six. Zach, would you read? John chapter six and verse nine. There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, a number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed that to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing may be lost. Do you get it? 5,000 people, maybe 20,000 in all when you count the women and children, and all they got is fish sandwiches, bread and fish, <clears throat> and just a few. And listen to what the disciples said. And what are these among so many? What difference does this little make? What can this do? And you know what Jesus' answer is? It's enough. It's all I need. Just give me the little you have and I'll provide 
all that's needed. I can provide a banquet for 20,000 people and have leftovers with one boy's lunch. One, one person out of 20,000 gave and you are still talking about that boy today. He's still being acknowledged for what he did. And everybody's gonna wanna meet him in heaven. What are these among so many? They are enough. They are enough, all right? Another example, Judges chapter seven. Sister Kylie, before Zach reads, can you put two and three up? Judges seven, two and three. Just hold on just for a, se a second, Zach. Judges seven, two and three. Here's the point I'm trying to make this morning, and it, this is gonna be a short message because we're gonna spend some time at the altar today. Here's the way God works. The Lord said unto Gideon, now let me back up. God was gonna use Gideon to deliver the people from the Midianites. And he tells Gideon, go tell the people, ask for volunteers. And Gideon goes out and says, any of you that wanna fight the Midianites, God's gonna give us the victory, who'll follow me into battle? 32,000 men rise up. That's a good army, isn't it? 32,000 men said, we're with you, Gideon. We're tired of them taking our crops every year. We plant, we do all the work, we harvest it, and then they take it. Let's stand up and fight. And if God's called you to be our leader, we're behind you. 32,000. Now look at what God says after the army's gathered. The people that are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their, into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, mine own hand has saved me. Next verse, please. Now therefore go, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And the return of the people, 20 and 2,000, there remain 10,000. If you're afraid to go fight in this battle, God and I have given you permission to go home. If you're a coward, you wouldn't think that 22 out of 32,000 would leave, would you? But they did. And 10,000 were left. How do you think Gideon felt? You got one third of your army left. The Midianites may have numbered as many as a million. What was 32 to a million in the first place? God says, that's too many. I'm gonna chop your congregation down. I'm gonna let the fearful go. Some of the fearful are gonna go. But the faithful, what are you, fearful or faithful? But the faithful will remain. Brother Tenney said some powerful things at the men's conference. I wish all of you could have been there. The first thing I heard that he said was, when we pray, we want a yes or a no from God, and we want it right now. Even if it's not what we want to hear, it's either yes or no. But most of the time, God says, trust me. Trust me. That's not what we wanted to hear, God. 
We wanted to hear yes or no. And God says, no, you trust me. Have I failed you in the past? No, then trust me. We need to trust God. Can I get an amen? Amen. And then the next thing he said was, that at least that I heard, I know everybody heard different things. He said, those, said this about pastors, because pastors sometimes worry about congregations and the fluctuation of attendance and things like that. And he said this, he said, always remember this, those that are with you cannot leave. They can't. Even if you make mistakes, even if you fail in certain areas, I'm not talking about moral failure, or, but if you make some mistakes, they still won't leave you. They can't. They're connected to you. Those that are with you cannot leave. Those who are not with you cannot stay. And they will leave. And it's probably better if they do. So that's going to happen. And so Gideon is facing what Brother Tenney was preaching about. They left. Now he's got 10,000. Okay, let's see what happens next. Go ahead, Zach. So Gideon and the hundred men uh, that were with him came onto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. Oh, 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 wait a minute. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He also had another test. Sorry, Zach. That's my fault. He had 10,000 left, right? He gives them a water test. He said, "Uh, Gideon, you still got too many. What? I got 10,000. Take them down to the water. Oh, he takes them down to the water. He says, go tell them that they can drink. So Gideon says, all right, men, go get a drink. And they all dive into this water. And, And God speaks to Gideon and he says, now Gideon, take a look. He said, notice that some men are on one knee holding their weapon and they're lapping water like a dog would. And they're looking for the enemy at the same time. Those are the only ones you can keep. Send the rest home. And only 300 men were lapping water like a dog and watching for the enemy at the same time. And God said, I'm gonna give you the victory with 300 men. 300 from 32,000 is less than 1%. Less, 320 would be 1%. They had 300. Less than 1% of those that started this fight were gonna finish it. God doesn't need big numbers. He just needs big people of faith that will do what they're asked to do, give the little they have, and God will supply the rest. Amen? So watch how he does it. Okay, please continue, Zach. Let me start over with 19. Let me start over with 19. Yes, please. Okay. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were, that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right, the right hands to blow with all. And they cried, the sword of the, of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp and all the host ran and cried and fled. 
And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the hosts. And the hosts fled to Bethshida. These cities, thank you very much. Blah, 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 blah. These cities, they took off and ran to all these tough cities to pronounce. I'm not going to put you through that. Okay. All right, Gideon. We got 300 men. You said that you snuck up on their camp and you heard that they were afraid of us. So what's the battle plan? Well, what do we got? Well, we ain't got much, Gideon. (laughs) You know, the Midianites take everything we have. We don't have any swords. We We got some torches. We got pitchers that we drink out of. We got some trumpets, we could make a little noise. That's all we got? Yeah. Well, I guess that's all he needs. I guess a torch is meant to be lit. So what we'll do is we'll spread out in three companies and we'll surround them. And we'll come at night because the torches won't be any good during the day. So we'll come at night, we'll spread around this mountain, we'll keep them in the valley and we'll light our torches and we'll break our pitchers and we'll play our trumpets. That's it? You, you think that will give us the victory? Well, that's all we got. Let's give all we got. That's right. Let's use what we got. Let's not complain about what we don't have. Let's not talk about what the enemy has. Let's not talk about their numbers. Let's not talk about their weaponry, their skill. Let's talk about what we got. Let's use what God has placed in our hands. Let's trust God and believe that a miracle is gonna take place beyond our ability. Let's give the little we got so that he can give all we need. So you boys, when I light my torch, you light your torch. Jesus said, we're the light of the world. He said, we were vessels. Doesn't the Bible say that we have this treasure in earthen vessels? That's the picture. Let's break the pictures. Let's be broken before God. Oh, somebody preach with me today. Let's allow ourselves to be broken and let's make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Let's play on our musical instruments. Let's sing from our hearts. Let's worship God. Those are the three weapons we're gonna use. And then let's see what God does. Let's see what God does. So they lit their torches and they broke their pitchers and they they sounded their trumpets and these people started killing each other. They were killing each other off. They weren't even fighting them. They're just watching them slaughter one another because it was inspired of God. It was anointed of God. They took the little that they had and they gave it and God did the rest. And the battle, remember this folks, the battle is not ours. It's always the Lord's. It's always the Lord's. So you take the little you've got and God will give you all you need. One more example, and we'll stop today. John, John chapter eight. John eight, verse seven. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, 
even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Just so you fully understand this story, a woman is taken in adultery. She doesn't even have her clothes with her. They wrap a sheet around her. They want to embarrass her. So in embarrassing her, they throw a sheet around her and they drag her to where Jesus is. And they say, Jesus, the law says that an adulterer or an adulteress should be stoned to death. This woman was caught in the very act. Now, what do you say? And he says, nothing. You know, when you don't know what to say, now I think he knew what to say, but when you don't know what to say, keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. Maybe you need to pray about it. Is it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary? Remember those three things? Do you have anything to say? Do you know all the facts? Are you sure you know all the facts? Is this your fight? Should you be involved in this? Because if you're not part of the solution, you should never become part of the problem. See, when, when people are at odds, they're always trying to get people to join their side. And if you allow that to happen, then you end up with a civil war. We don't want civil wars. People gotta work out their problems. Okay, so here she is, he's writing in the dirt, and they keep pressing him. Come on, Jesus, give us the answer. He said, all right, tell you what, boys. He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And they all begin to think, and I think it was eldest to youngest. They began to think about what he said. Well, I'm not, I'm not innocent. I've done things that are wrong. I've sinned. I wouldn't want to be stoned. And from the eldest to the youngest, they start drifting away. Now, here's the amazing part of the story. And this is, I'm, I'm, this is the highlight of this message. You absolutely have to get this. If I were the woman, my initial thought would be, when they leave, I leave. I mean, I'm not gonna get stoned. I'm embarrassed for my sin. I'm just gonna back away from this situation. But not this woman. No, she doesn't back away. What does she have to offer Jesus. Here's a woman taken in adultery, stripped of her dignity, exposed to everybody for what she is. What can she possibly offer Jesus? But she won't leave. She stays at his feet. And finally, he can no longer ignore her. You stay until God speaks. This isn't in my notes. You stay at his feet until he speaks to you. I'm not leaving 
till I hear from you. Because things aren't right between you and I, Jesus. And I gotta hear from you. So I'm staying right here. I hope that's the way you'll be at the altar today. If you need an answer from God today, I hope that you'll stay at the altar until he speaks, because he will. And finally he pipes up and says, woman, where are your accusers? Has no man condemned you? And listen carefully to how she says and frames her words. She says, no man and then calls him Lord. No man. No, the men aren't condemning me. But my conscience is, I still feel guilty about what I've done. I want to make you Lord of my life. I want to submit to you. I acknowledge my wrong. She was giving the little she had left. She was giving him humility. She was giving him repentance. She wasn't giving him excuses, justifications for her actions. Where's the man? How come they didn't bring him? She never said any of that. She just gave the little she had left. And there are people here today that are just like this woman at Jesus' feet. You say, ah, I don't have a lot to give God. I remember when I first came to God, I didn't have hardly anything to give to God. Certainly didn't have any money. Didn't have any great gifts or talents or, or anything that I could brag about. But we come just as we are. We come with the little that we've got. We acknowledge our wrong. We don't make any excuses. We don't blame anybody else. We just humble ourselves before God and we say, I want, I'm tired of being Lord of my life. I want you to be Lord of my life. You take over. You take charge of my life. I've done a pretty poor job. Now you're in charge. And God says, that's what I wanted to hear. I'll take the little you've got and I'll give you everything you need because my God shall supply all your need according to his, not yours, according to his riches in glory. Amen. Praise God. God's not broke. People are saying, well, you know, the economy's in a bad way and it, we're in bad shape financially. God has no economic problems. God can move things around. God can take care of you. He takes care of sparrows. He's got the very hairs on your head numbered. But all you have to, let's stand together. All you have to do is come to his feet and become his clay. Zach, Jeremiah, chapter 18, I think it's, Two through six, if you'd read that. Jeremiah 18, two. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was mirrored in the hands of the potter, so he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter? Say it, the Lord, 
Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. He takes what's placed in his hands and he sees that it's marred. And because it's as clay, he can reshape it and make it another vessel. It can be a born again life. Something that can be useful, not only for God as a vessel, but to give to others with. Say, well, I don't have much. You've missed the whole point. All he wants is the little you've got. And he'll give you everything you need. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.